Welcome to Composer Talk. I'm your host, Matthew Wong. As a film and TV composer, I love talking to others about their backgrounds, composition techniques, music tech, and more. We all watch films, TV, and digital media and know the important role that scoring plays in storytelling. I want to invite you to join me on this adventure to learn more about the artists who are behind the scenes creating the music. If you want to learn more about the people interviewed on this podcast, make sure to follow us on our socials. And if you enjoy Composer Talk, please take the time to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your preferred listening site is. Hey everyone, just wanted to take a quick second to shout out our friends at QDB.com. That's C-U-E-D-B.com. QDB is a cloud-based software that allows you to make your own customizable cue lists for spotting, composition, orchestration, mixing, and cue sheet delivery. If you'd like to try it out, use the code COMPOSERTALK for 15% off for one year. I was first turned on to this amazing HMMA-winning composer by former Composer Talk guests Chris Bowers and Mandy Hoffman. This next composer studied at Cornell University before attending the NYU Film Scoring Program. Uh, and after moving to L.A., she started working with and for film composer Chris Lennertz, with whom she contributed additional music to projects including Bad Moms, the action comedy sequel Shaft, Amazon's highly acclaimed television series The Boys, Netflix's Lost in Space, Murph's The Lost Village, Baywatch, the list goes on. Her own credits include Netflix's Trial by Media and Bookmarks, Celebrating Black Voices, FX series Pride, and action crime drama Echo Boomers. She's also scoring Lionsgate comedy Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar with Chris Leonards. And the composer is Dara Taylor. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Matthew. Hey. So excited to have you on. So going to like school for music at Cornell and then film scoring specifically at NYU, when you arrived in LA, did you have like much in terms of like expectations of like what would happen when you got nope. here? Um not not at all, really. I can't say that. I knew exactly what to expect. I mean, like a lot of people, I did a lot of learning on the job. I had never been to California. I'd never been to the West Coast before I moved to LA. So I wasn't even sure what to expect as far as the city went. Um, We arrived in downtown because we're like, well, that's where all the big buildings are. And we were very sorely disappointed uh, immediately. But (laughs) coming from New York to to downtown LA. But no, I still don't know what to expect. Honestly, <laughs> I, I mean, out of curiosity, like, did you know anything about like potential careers and like what you wanted to go into? Like, if like there'd be anything in terms of conducting, orchestrating, assisting a composer? Um, yeah, I was looking to start, I guess, interning with the hope of assisting and learning that way. So that was kind mm-hmm. of my goal. And you know, if there are any like copyist work I can do on the side or something like that, um, which I actually never ended up doing. So I had a couple of vague ideas, but I had no idea how to um, achieve these goals. (laughs) So the first thing I did when I moved to LA was I went to a few SEL events because I didn't really know much about um, Los Angeles, but uh, going to NYU, a lot of the professors there were part of the um, SEL in New York steering committee. So I went to a few uh, SEL events in New York. Yeah, so um, I started going to some SEL events when I first got to LA, and then I started volunteering um, for the SEL, just like doing check-in and stuff at the beginning of events. And I figured that would probably be a good way to get to know people, or at least be forced to interact and kind of break out of my shell and kind of get my face in front of people lots of times. Um, 
And from there, that's where I met uh, a couple of friends. And one of my friends was invited by Mark Robertson, the uh, concertmaster, to come and just watch a scoring session. So she's like, hey, do you want to come with me? So I, I went with her. It was uh, Catherine Joy. And the session was for Revolution. And uh, that's where I first met Chris. And even more so than first meeting Chris, I, um, I ran into an old classmate from the NYU film scoring program there, um, Alex Bornstein. And that, so we went to grad school together. And um, I had no idea he was out here. He didn't know I was out here. And, you know, we weren't like best of friends there. We didn't really bond with too many people, um, neither of us at NYU. Um, but we knew each other's names and faces and knew we weren't one of those people to avoid. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I asked him later about interning at Sonic Fuel because I had at that point heard about Sonic Fuel or I think I heard that Samples was a Sonic Fuel, and that's the first time I heard the name Sonic Fuel. And yeah, and soon thereafter, I started interning. I was studio manager for a little bit. When the studio manager quit, I just kind of filled what other voids were necessary until um, Chris needed some more part-time assistant help. So then I started doing part-time, then full-time, then the only person, and then kind of graduating from there to just kind of doing uh, additional music and branching out on my own. Right. Well, it sounds like you were ready to just like, you know, adapt and handle anything that came at you. So, yeah, I yeah. mean, basically just trying to be useful and helpful. However, I found a way to be so. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you started like learning how to just, you know, adapt while in school or is that just something that's always come to you? I mean, I suppose I've learned to adapt in every new situation I've I'm put in, but more so than anything, just kind of learning to get along with people. <laughs> Um, that helps a lot being generally pleasant, but real at the same time. I don't know. I I know it sounds like I'm patting myself on the back a lot, but just like, just, um, (laughs) being able to be around people, um, and social skills and all that. But I mean, yeah, I guess you could say I I learned to adapt in school. I, I, I learned how to deal with pressure at school, I guess, because I was always the person to take way too many credits and be involved in too many things, be the president of way too many clubs. And uh, that kind of helped me learn how to deal with and work with and for um, and above a lot of different people. What were some of your favorite clubs in, uh, in school? Um, I mean, I was obviously involved in, in music. Um, I was a music major at Cornell, but just kind of general music. I studied classical voice and I studied um, kind of contemporary classical composition. And yeah, there was, I was part of the chorale and then part of the university chorus that I became secretary and then president of. And then I was part of an acapella group, which I became musical director of at some point. I don't know. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I was part of a club called Contrapunkt, which just means counterpoint in German. Um, But it was like a group of undergraduate composers and we'd um, write pieces to be performed in a recital. Um, Just kind of like small chamber pieces to be performed in a a recital every uh, semester. Wow. Wait, so were you just listening to like classical music and like orchestral music and choral music like through your childhood or? Sort of, yeah. Uh, well, my mom was very religious, still is quite religious. So, um, I listened to a lot of gospel growing up, at least from her. And, um, my dad used to play a lot of like Gil Scott Heron 
and um, Last Poets and Marvin Gaye. I mean, the whole gamut. Like, if it was recorded in the 70s, he'd play it. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I wasn't really allowed to listen to, like, worldly music growing up because it was of the devil or something. Um, and... <laughs> no, no tritones. <laughs> no, yeah, no tritones. Um, uh, so, so, but I found the loophole because I wasn't really interested in listening to either of their musics on my own either. uh, The loophole I found was show tunes Mm. and classical music, and somehow that seemed to be okay. Um, So I listened to a lot (laughs) of show tunes growing up. I was in all the musicals um, and the plays, um, and I got really into like Handel's Messiah at one point, not for its religious reasons, just because I liked the music. And yeah, I guess I kind of grew into these sensibilities by necessity. And a part of me wonders if I had been listening to all the others. I mean, I went to school. I heard this stuff. But, like, at home, I had to be a little more on the DL about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I wonder if I was just, like, allowed to listen to all this stuff in, the, in public if I would have even ventured off that way. I kind of used those things that were a little more instrumentally based as kind of a, a loophole um, and a respite. And um, I, I think it might have informed my later decisions more than I realized. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's like really funny just like looking through just like the credits of your own and also just all the stuff you've worked on with Chris, like the mm-hmm. musical gamut just runs everywhere from like yeah. <laughs> jazzy to, I mean, Tom and Jerry recently, right? Yeah. 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 To out of the trappy stuff in uh, bookmarks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just seems like the amount of range you cover uh, as a composer, if you actually like digest everything, like, and then just to replicate it and do it for the job now, or if it's just a thing, maybe. I mean, I guess yeah. in like some ways, we always kind of have to adapt for the gig. Yeah, I mean, quickly. I've no, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I've noticed a lot of times, and I mean, maybe I kind of find these little blessings in disguise, but I'll find a lot of times that there's a new genre I'm not used to. Um, there'll be something that I demo for and do not get. Um, and I, you know, I try and learn it or emulate the style, maybe not to the, to the level that it's, that is necessary, but, but that's kind of my first foray into a particular genre. Um, if it's not something I'm already pretty familiar and comfortable with. And then like, Four to six months later, there will be another thing that requires that. And I'm like, well, I've got at least these four pieces that I did, that I wrote. Um, and then you kind of build on that. And um, what I always say is I, I've never regretted writing a piece of music, even if it's for something that, you know, nothing comes of it. Um, there have been plenty of times where for uh, tracks I've used to demo um, are helpful on a reel for something else that I actually get. Yeah. I also have to really quickly compliment you for your website because the, the way you have all your music listed out, I just think is so awesome. <laughs> Thank you. I live like, with the web developer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> makes it easier. <laughs> Three in the morning. Hey, can we just add a uh, mysterious? <laughs> no, he created this whole admin system actually for, um, he has a whole um, site that does websites for actors and filmmakers and composers and a whole thing. Stanley Smith uses this, uh, services too, actually. Um, but, uh, yeah. So he has this whole admin system that I can change stuff myself after he makes the original, um, site. Super cool. (laughs) (laughs) 
Let's see who I got here next. Ooh, this is one I'm always curious to ask people who've like done the assistant thing, but do you feel like there's anything that Chris has taught you that you feel like you would never be able to learn anywhere else? Ooh. I mean, I think a lot. Of, I mean, Chris has taught me a lot of stuff. Um, some of the most valuable things are just dealing with notes mm. and being in enough of those rooms to like see the note behind the note um, and find a way to deal with maybe sometimes tenuous political situations where one direct, you know, where a director wants one thing, but a producer wants another thing and um, finding a way to kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And mitigate maybe? Yeah, mitigate. And also I thought it'd come to me this second time, but it didn't. Um, <laughs> mitigate and really just kind of reconcile whatever these differences are. Mm-hmm. Um, and find a way to make sure everyone is is heard, and while at the same time doing what's best for the story and for the um, for the piece of music and and for the film um, or TV show, um, yeah, that and um, you know he's he's really good at comedy writing. He's great at a lot of stuff, obviously, but. Um, there's never been a time where he said, "Okay, now take this bass note, mute these two bass notes, add two beats here." Okay, then come in there instead of there that I haven't immediately laughed afterwards. I'm like, yes, this is much funnier. Um, <laughs> just the way to write around dialogue and to write around jokes, both physical and spoken, um, is definitely a skill that I will take with me forever. Right. It's such an interesting point about the note behind the note, too, because I feel mm-hmm. like there's so many times, uh, just because composers are rotten at the last minute, that like we don't know about... like all the fighting that's gone on about like a certain scene or something that yeah uh we're then tasked with just you know doing something that may just immediately fail like without you know yeah. any hope <laughs> just because of a lack of being there for the whole ride yeah definitely what are some of like the the craziest challenges just uh i mean i'm sure we can't talk too much about like specifics but in terms of just like musical things that came up that you encountered while you we over there or later um, too on your own stuff. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, a lot of challenges are kind of brought by uh, time constraints. Um, but I mean, honestly, one of the biggest challenges uh, for both something I worked for, uh, on with Chris and something I worked on uh, myself um, is the pandemic. What? Uh, <laughs> and having to record. Um, musicians uh, all around the world uh, remotely. Um, Of course, it's much, at the end of the day, it's much more of a challenge to the engineers than to anyone else. But um, yeah, I mean, both Barb and Star and um, Echo Boomers were recorded completely remote. Um, I have never met Kristen Wiig in person. Um, um, I've only seen the inside of her house. So it's one of those things where, I mean, in a, you know, both musically and interpersonally, it's just harder to gauge, yeah, notes behind notes sometimes um, with such a two-dimensional communication method. And also, you know, there's no, like, joking around by the, um, <laughs> by the charcuterie <laughs> and all of those sorts of things. Um Wait, that's interesting, uh, though, about the notes behind the notes not being as easy to, well, even detect if uh, 
if you're not in the room? Like, what are the things you like pick up on in person that you feel like miss? Yeah, I mean, you can't, body language is muted and body language is from here up. Um, Or if they're looking at their phone like this from here up. Yeah, I mean, you can't really see if they're, you know, if people are, are not that anyone has, but you can't really tell as much if people are checking out um, while listening to something or (laughs) it's like, all right, maybe that's going a little slowly. They're not paying attention to this. Or, um, or, you know, people are on mute. You can't hear their chuckles or any of that. I mean, it's, you know, an issue that I'm, you know, uh, late night talk show hosts have have learned to deal with uh, telling jokes or, you know, talking to to the void and hoping that you get a response back. Um, Obviously, our responses are much sooner, but um, yeah, just not having that immediate feedback. Yeah, so true, because I mean, comedy is all about timing. So, yeah, yeah. You can't yeah. make jokes as easily over Zoom. Yeah, but I will exactly. say that you do an incredible job with the Jackbox jokes. <laughs> I try my best. <laughs> uh, are there any genres that you prefer, seeing as you have covered so many different, you know, categories of films? Yeah, I mean, uh, I know, I know the answer is supposed to be oh, everything, whatever I can tell the best story with. Um, but um, brass tacks. <laughs> Uh, brass tacks uh, yeah <laughs> um but yeah in actual you know i love comedies um obviously i'd like to laugh um and i feel like a lot of times uh some of the people you deal with in comedies kind of see the world in a different light and they see the humor and the joy and sometimes sorrow and i feel like that is a really important skill to kind of get through life. So I enjoy them for lots of reasons. And I, you know, I like to write comedy music. Um, but I also like really kind of dark, atmospheric, dreamy stuff, um, which is a lot of what Echo Boomers is too. It's just kind of like, um, you know, it's a drama thriller, but it's um, not very kind of soft synth or even analog synth based. It's all very organic in the way it's made. And I like any opportunity to kind of um, explore and, and figure stuff out, which is another reason why I had so much fun working on the boys, because everything is like, all right, what can we take from the kitchen or from here and bang on or scratch on and <laughs> make music out of it? Um, so I like that, you know, anything that can kind of be a little music concrete, if you want to say, or um, just taking an instrument and using it in not its um, intended purpose. Yeah. Yeah, we should talk about Echo Boomers because that's coming out soon. Yeah. Uh, and my only knowledge of the film, besides the little bits online and the trailer, or listening to most of the incredible score from you, <laughs> um, lots of atmospheric stuff. So can you talk mm-hmm. about like any of the more, I mean, you kind of mentioned just like a similar approach maybe for the boys where you take like actual like organic sounds or real things and manipulate them. But is that kind of the approach too? for uh, Echo Boomers? Yeah, I mean, I like to take, I mean, a lot of what I used on it was um, an electric cello that I have here. And people are like, I didn't know you play cello. I'm like, I don't. Uh, <laughs> that's the point. <laughs> Just what kind of noises can I get out of this and run through, you know, a Kemper amp or run through some, um, an unnecessary system bogging amount of plugins. 
you know, and I very rarely just play a note. I'll usually like play harmonics or I'll run my finger down and play all the harmonics or just like anything that um, makes it sound not quite like a cello. I mean, and there are plenty of, there's plenty of actual cello in it that I uh, send to Ro Rowan to play. Um, I'm like, if I want a cello to sound like a cello, then I'm going to send it to a cellist. <laughs> um. Right. There's so much expressivity there, though, when you just run your finger across a string as opposed to run it over a fader on a synthesizer or... Yeah, just exactly. Even more so, moving the 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 pointer on the computer and just trying yeah. to mouse over a knob <laughs> to get yeah, lights. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, or uh, I mean, and to me, it was just like even percussive things were like you know f- fingernails against it and um, the back of the bow or other random things I probably shouldn't be putting on there um, for the <laughs> for the uh, for the good of the instrument. Yeah, or like banging on the back of a charango or like any sort of thing I can I can do to get the desired effect but um without you know going to omnisphere or zebra <laughs> to <Right>. get it <laughs> well having just scored my first like thriller feature like I found one of the issues or just I mean it's probably not a thing that would have bothered anyone else but I found myself like listening to some of these Betty you know like tension cues mm-hmm. where after a while, it just like makes me tired. <laughs> and did yeah. you find like any, you know, just like tricks or things you had to do to keep it like, you know, actually like intense emotionally and all that, as opposed to just like feeling like a bed of just music? Um, I mean, for me, a lot of it is just, you know, if it's feeling too samey at a second or <laughs> or a sixth or something, um, and kind of like if there's anything to thicken it harmonically um because i mean again a lot of what uh even going into it um seth savoy the director said like you know i want this to sound different or i want it you know i don't want it to sound too um he didn't use the word network but i interpret what he uh said as network you know it doesn't want it to sound like csi um no offense to CSR or any of those great programs, but uh, you know, it just doesn't want it to sound, um, yeah, I guess too too synthesized either. Um, he really didn't. He wanted it to sound pretty organic, so um, that's uh, mostly what I did. But uh, yeah, I mean, maybe there there are probably some times in there that I've gotten a little sleepy too. But um, <laughs> just trying to. <laughs> trying to create some sort of either harmonic or rhythmic interest um hopefully something that corresponds with the scene right what is it with directors wanting music that doesn't sound networky like why can't we just get a director who just wants exactly the temp no. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure they're out there but um well no then you if you have people that want exactly the temp then you've got temp love issues so um <laughs> Uh, oh, cool. Well, with that, uh, I think we'll go on to the last segment for this podcast, a segment called Tech Talk, mm-hmm. uh, a segment where I list off a tech topic and you say as much or as little as you want about it. <laughs> uh, first one, ZZ, DAW. Uh, yeah, I use Cubase. Um, for my DAW, I've used almost every DAW to try them out um, at the beginning, and Cubase is the one that makes the most sense to me. At least it's, um, it, for me, it works the best with MIDI. Um, Pro Tools is great with audio, but um, I, I really don't like it for for MIDI. Um, 
logic is fine. The environment stresses me out. Um, <laughs> Reaper. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, digital performer, she's so ugly, man. If I'm going to be staring at this thing for hours and hours on end, I need a better looking um, dog or a better looking gooey. Um, maybe it's been better since the last I looked, but... I, you know, um, I, I don't know if I'm even... A- I think it's okay I mentioned this, but so Danny Elfman's apparently on like the latest version of DP, but mm-hmm. he likes the look of like version seven or eight. So they had to custom make him a version that looks like the old one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that's that like such great. a miserable environment to just look at that all day. <laughs> imagine, imagine having that kind of power. Um, hey, DP, make this look the way I want it to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure Hans does that with Cubase. Yeah, I'm sure he does. I could say, you know, oh. it would be interesting if it was all pink and tomorrow it could just turn that way. <laughs> uh, cool. Next one I have here is, ooh, uh, Reels. Yes. Um, I use Reel Crafter for my Reels. I love it. Um, made by Sam Hulick and, uh, and his wife, Sarah. And... Yeah, I mean, what I what I really like about it is it kind of takes a lot of the anxiety or, or guesswork out of whether or not someone has listened to something. Because um, <laughs> there have been gigs that I've been up for and then I don't hear anything back from them. And then I see on someone else's um, social media, they're like, oh, I'm so glad to have scored this. I'm like, well, guess I didn't get that. Um, and then, <laughs> But then you can see that they didn't even open your reel. So it's like, well, at least it's not my music that they didn't like. Um, <laughs> so yeah. that's one thing. But <laughs> Is there anything that we can do about that? Because I've always thought about the reels we send where someone just didn't even check it out. And sometimes I can imagine like, if it's like a Disney show, they could get like 75 reels or something, you know, and just yeah. impossible to put a lot of like meaningful time into every single one. Uh, something we can do to make them listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, once you, once you invent that, you let the rest of us know. But, Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> but at least it's knowing, okay, they've opened it. Oh, they've opened it a lot. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> Ooh, they downloaded um, all my music. <laughs> I know. Look at that. Um, I mean, sometimes it's just I send it to uh, to my agent, and then they download it, and then that's the end. And I don't know what happens after that. But you know, but then they check in on on it. Um, but yeah, and I like how easy it is to just kind of um, uh, you know either have a starting point from another reel or. Um, I don't know. I like the folders. It's just really easy. Um, I use yeah. Real Crafter um, more days than not. <laughs> cool, cool. Uh, the thirty-one dollar and fifty cent eBay purchased violin. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. I bought that in college, and I'm like just to play around on it. Um, it did not sound good. Um, I did not keep it up. I'm pretty sure, no, maybe this is my clarinet, but I, there was, no, I remember in college, senior year of college, I left, I lived in an apartment with uh, some housemates and I went home for winter break um, and they turned down the, like the apartment complex, they turned down the heat because they're like, no one's here. Where am I going to spend all this money for heat? Um, and I came back and like my childhood clarinet that I had just like sitting there was all cracked. Um, and it, it was so sad. 
<laughs> because it just froze up. Um, yeah, I think I think actually that thirty dollar violin managed to survive that. Um, wow. I don't know. <laughs> now I'm questioning the uh, durability of this clarinet. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it was a pretty decent clarinet for a yeah. for a student size, but yeah, or a student caliber. Right. Uh, yeah, I just buy random stuff on the internet. I have a shopping problem, and at least this time it feel now it feels like oh well, I'm doing this for the betterment of my career. <laughs> yeah, it's a tax write off. Uh, I think. Yeah. yeah, but now my boyfriend and I will watch something, and there'll be like some giant instrument um, on screen or in a YouTube video or something. He's like, "Don't buy that." I'm like, "All right, fine." <laughs> yeah, I'm surprised you haven't gotten the Tyco collection over at your place yet. <laughs> I know. Not yet. Not yet. I need a larger place for that, but but soon. <laughs> cool. Last couple I've got here. I think I know. Actually, maybe I'm wrong, but let's see. Orchestral libraries. Just any favorites? Um, I do like a lot of Spitfire stuff. Um, I like their strings a lot. I like the timbre of them and kind of... I think they're a little darker than others and I, that's just kind of the sound that I like and I love like their soul tostos in uh, the uh, London Chamber Orchestra um, library um, use a lot of Berlin uh, orchestral tools Berlin uh, woodwinds um, East West Hollywood brass percussion from wherever I mean usually I'll use like the Hans Zimmer timpanis um, but I also use like some true strike symbols. I'm, I'm kind of all over the place, um, uh, <laughs> as far as orchestral stuff goes, but, um, I at least more or less n- know where to go for the sound that I'm looking for, for any particular place or piece. Nice. Yeah. We all like to keep it varied. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Well, you killed yeah. it here with tech talk, Dar. Do you want to tell the people right. what else you got going on? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Echo Boomers comes out November 13th, um, in theaters and also um uh, on demand and uh digital and uh yeah uh, barb and star go to vista del mar comes out sometime next year um we'll see what the pandemic brings um yeah but other than that you know i'll be starting an animated show in uh january um and that'll kind of uh, take me through the next little bit of life. <laughs> sure. Well, it's such a pleasure having you on, Dara. Yeah, likewise. Well, thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Composer Talk. If you like what we're doing, feel free to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. The show is mixed and sounds great thanks to the incredible Eric Bard, who's also a talented composer, producer, and mixer. Until next time, this has been Matthew Wong.